Hello, this is podcast three of your Lord of the Flies Knowledge Podcasts for English Literature GCSE. The purpose of these podcasts is to give you some short reminders about what you need to know about themes and characters for this text. You can, of course, pause at any point to make notes or to add thoughts of your own to what I've said. We've looked so far at Peggy and Ralph, and today's podcast is about Jack. We've already said that Jack is a foil for Ralph. At a straightforward level, Ralph is Golding's good and moral leader, whereas Jack is his corrupt and dictatorial leader. The way that Jack takes over, creating his own tribe and then ruling them by whipping them for no discernible reason, having called himself chief rather than using his name, and demanding absolute loyalty, is supposed to remind us of the fascist leaders who would have been at the forefront of Golding's mind, especially, presumably, Hitler and Mussolini. But as we said last time, this is not just a straightforward good versus evil story where good wins. And what Golding is interested in is not, I don't think, just demonising Jack. To just take a sidestep into context for a moment, what horrified Golding about World War II was not just its fascist dictators and the unspeakable evils that they committed. I think what he found chilling was the fact that those leaders did not just come from nowhere. They were human beings, and Lord of the Flies explores how that is possible. And they were also powerful leaders, and Lord of the Flies deals somewhat with how those kinds of people, abusive, corrupt, murderous, savage, evil tyrants, might end up in positions of power. When we talked about Piggy and Ralph, we focused a lot on the themes of civilization and savagery. Clearly, Jack is Golding's example of what happens when savagery takes over. The pivotal moment for me is when Jack paints his face for the first time. Golding tells us that the mask was a thing on its own, behind which Jack hid, liberated from shame and self-consciousness. He feels now that he is an awesome stranger, his laughter becomes a bloodthirsty snarling. You can see from these key quotations, they're from chapter four on page 80 if you want to look them up, that as soon as Jack has painted his face, he becomes more animalistic. He snarls and capers as if he's not quite human anymore. He's also not himself. He is a stranger and he hides behind the mask. Jack is still there, of course, but he no longer has to feel shame or self-consciousness. And I think we are supposed to understand that that means Jack feels sufficiently distant from himself to be able to get away with the things that otherwise he would be criticised or told off for doing. And that means he can do the things that he really, in his heart of hearts, wants to do without fear. I know that sounds like a bit of a contradiction, that when Jack hides his face, he becomes more truly himself. But it's true. Think of it a bit like social media. Every single day, people say things behind the mask of their fake Twitter account that they would never dream of saying or threatening in real life. Because they don't have to be afraid of the consequences, they are free, Golding's word is liberated, to reveal their true selves. Once Jack has painted his face, it's only a matter of time before he starts behaving like the chief, the tyrant, that he really wants to be the civilised version of himself starts to disappear because there's no one and there are no rules to make him behave in that morally good way. What we've said so far is that we need to know that Jack is a tyrant or a fascist leader, and he becomes that way when he becomes savage and paints his face. The next things we need to know 
are the subtle complexities. Complexity number one, Jack does not begin as a savage or a tyrant or a fascist or evil. He begins the novel as a choir boy. You could see him as the absolute epitome of an angelic schoolboy, in fact. He thinks he should be chief because he can sing C-sharp. Now, it's true that there are clues to his savage nature even then. He wants to be chief. He carries a knife and stabs it into a tree in chapter one. He wants his choir to be hunters. He commands the choir, even to the point of making Simon faint in the heat. But certainly, to all appearances, he knows how to behave in a civilised way. This is interesting, because it means that Golding wants us to see how Jack changes. To put it simply, when he has the rules of society, Jack conforms and behaves like a decent human being. When the rules disappear, on an uninhabited island, he is free to explore the latent savagery that so far has been held in check by grown-ups and rules. Complexity number two, Jack is childish. When he says he should be chief because he can sing C-sharp, it's laughably naive, because it's a completely unnecessary skill for a leader. When he goes off to start his own tribe, he says, I'm not going to play any longer, not with you. Even when his actions have the most serious consequences, he still seems to be playing a game. That's certainly what it looks like to the naval officer who rescues them at the end. Jack isn't interested in the mature, pragmatic things like the fire or rescue or even the conch, which he challenges early on, saying that it doesn't count on the mountain. Jack cares about what makes him feel good, and what makes him feel good is power and cruelty. So ultimately, Jack is a brutal fascist dictator and represents cruel, tyrannical leadership. But he is also a little boy. In a normal setting, by which I mean not a desert island, we can assume that he would grow up to be a normal, law-abiding man. The reason for this is rules. It is rules and law and society that keep Jack in line and prevent him from behaving like a savage. What Golding is suggesting is that Jack's true self is atavistic. The mask allows him to drop the performance. And if that is true for Jack, a choir boy who can sing C-sharp, who's to say it's not true of every other human being too?